Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. What does Brexit mean for my money? That's the question on many people's lips after Friday's shock result opened up a chasm of uncertainty over everything from interest rates and portfolio values to foreign holiday homes and the price of petrol. Much will remain obscure before we know the shape of Britain's relationship with the EU. But in a special post-Brexit podcast, we want to offer some clarity, at least, for listeners on the future of their investment, property and pensions. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm James Pickford, Deputy Editor of FT Money, and I'll be giving you the week's money news in downloadable form in a post-referendum special episode. The first repercussion of last Friday's leave vote was a savage reckoning on financial markets. Sterling fell to a 29-year low against the dollar. Investors punished bank and house builder shares, and Britain lost its AAA credit rating as $3 trillion was wiped off markets around the world. For traders and stockbrokers, it doesn't get much more seismic than that. Some individual investors will already be nursing big losses. The question is, what should they be doing about it? I'm joined in the FT studio by Amy Williams, investment writer on FT Money, who's been talking to market experts about the ramifications of the vote. Amy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. First, can you give us a sense of how this played out on Friday and in subsequent days for individual investors? What sort of trading levels did we see? Well, we saw massive trading levels as people reacted with shock and horror to the Brexit vote. So retail brokers who deal with investors, so it's Hargreaves Lansdowne, AJ Bell, TD Direct, they were all reporting trading volumes roughly three to five times their average on Friday. And they really struggled to cope. Hargreaves Lansdowne seeing their investors really not able to make trades on the Friday morning. The market makers in the London Stock Exchange were struggling to price stocks and the brokers themselves were overwhelmed as investors were phoning up and logging onto the website to buy and sell in uh, in huge numbers. Yeah, so the mayhem seems to have receded a little bit now. What kinds of things are people getting out of and moving into, if not cash? Well, I think UK banks probably suffered the worst as as far as stocks go. House builders also being sold wholesale. People have moved into exporters who would be supported by the sterling weakness at the moment. And defensive stocks like utilities have done well as well. And Hargreaves Lansdowne on the fund side reported that BlackRock's Gold and General Fund, which invests in gold and silver miners, was uh, much more popular than usual, although it is always popular anyway. 
So people have been pointing to a bit of a recovery, a bit of a comeback in the FTSE 100, but that's not necessarily a great guide to the health of the UK economy, is it? No, the FTSE 100 tends to be made up of large internationally facing companies with uh, overseas earnings. So JP Morgan's asset management reckoned around 70% of FTSE 100 companies' earnings come from abroad. So when you translate that into weak sterling as well, that's actually looking like a play on sort of escaping the UK economy rather than investing in it. FTSE 250, on the other hand, which invests in smaller, more domestically focused companies, has done much worse. So that's not that's not a good sign. And so what are wealth managers and other advisors suggesting people do in terms of their investment portfolios? Well, the overarching message seems to be don't panic, don't shift around too much, don't try and time the market. Things are very uncertain at the moment. Sit tight don't lose sight of your investment goals. Also diversify. So geographically, very important. Think about where you can buy stocks that are not linked to the UK economy or have exposure to the Brexit effect. So Japan, emerging markets, the US perhaps. Look at the style of fund managers in your portfolios. So think about diversifying across fund style as well, value or growth. Make sure you've got a bit of everything. And another idea I've heard, which I quite like, is you can invest in things with a staycation theme. So weak sterling (laughs) means that people are not going to go on holiday less. So think about how you could cash in on that. So there is at least one fund that invests in caravan parks. It's an investment trust. Pubs are another thing that people have told me they're looking at now as they look to kind of bank on people taking holidays in the UK. Excellent. Caravan parks and pubs. Thank you very much, Amy. That was Amy Williams, FT Money's investment reporter. You can read more on the investment outlook in FT Money this weekend as part of the Weekend FT or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. Next, Britain's property market. Anyone who is in the process of buying a home before last Friday will be wondering what impact this momentous political event will have on their prospective purchase. If prices start to fall because of the vote and uncertainty about the economy, Should they assume it'll all blow over or try and negotiate a lower price or pull out altogether? If you decide to take out a big mortgage, will you be left with payments you can't afford if inflation forces a rise in interest rates? Too many questions and I suspect as yet no definitive answers. But Judith Evans, the FT's property correspondent, is with us now and can throw some light at least on how people are reacting so far. Judith, what are you hearing from the market in terms of buyers and sellers' response to this? Well, I should stress that what we're hearing so far is pretty anecdotal. It's obviously too early to have data, but there certainly has been an initial wave of people pulling out of purchases. That's coming from the buyer's side. They're worried perhaps that prices may fall or that their own financial security might be affected by the knock-on effects of Brexit. It's harder to say how sellers are behaving, but certainly when it comes to developers, and certainly in London, there are already some fairly juicy discounts on offer as the market slowed a little bit. This is only likely to increase that, so if you are in need of a new place to live, you might actually get quite a good deal. Mm. So that's what they're actually doing. Does that differ at all from the advice being handed out by estate agents or buying agents? Well, this is one of those revealing scenarios where selling agents, which is the majority of estate agents and buying agents who act obviously 
on behalf of buyers are coming up with quite different advice. Certainly, I spoke to Ed Mead at Douglas and Gordon. He's a well-respected estate agent. He's basically urging people in most circumstances to take a deep breath and go ahead. He said, don't make big life decisions on the strength of people who have an interest in seeing prices fall. Now, those people, of course, are the buying agents who are looking for bargains on behalf of their buyers. Um, one of those has coined the word Brexumping for that situation <laughs> where you reduce your offer in the light of uh, Thursday's vote. Fantastic. Now, geographically, London has always been, uh, it's always tended to go in its own direction as a property market. Has there been a different reaction uh, in the capital to the rest of the country? Well, certainly, I think the concerns are sort of sharpened in London because we're so dependent on financial services here and other types of international business. There's a general expectation among analysts I've spoken to that if house prices do fall, that'll be uh, stronger in London. But that's partly only because they have risen so very much over the past few years. London and the South East have really led the house price growth. So is it too early to say what's going to happen to property prices? It is too early. Some analysts and estate agents are sticking their necks out and giving us numbers, which is brave of them because it is very early days. Those numbers are generally around a 2 or 3% fall in the coming year. But some of them, the outliers, analysts at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, are predicting a 10% fall. That's the most pessimistic forecast that I've seen. Others are waiting until we've got a little bit more evidence in our hands before they attach numbers to it. And it seems there's one area of relative optimism, or at least an area that hasn't fallen, which is the mortgage market, where in complete contrast to the situation after 2008, where the bank lending completely dried up, we now have a very good deals on offer. You know, Banks appear to be in a much better situation and you can get record low mortgage offers. But even there, it seems that there are conflicting pieces of advice because the, obviously the cheapest deals are for two-year fixed-rate mortgages. HSBC launched one last week at 0.99%. But of course, if you get a two-year or a three-year fixed-rate deal, you will be coming out of that deal just on, you know, onto the standard variable rate, just at the point when Britain potentially will be leaving the EU um, after triggering this Article 50 two-year negotiation period. So at the moment, the advice from mortgage brokers seems to be to do a very much longer sort of five-year fixed rate if you can afford that. But anyway, that was my little tuppence hapeth on the mortgage market, which I've been speaking to about this week. Judith, thank you very much indeed. That was Judith Evans, the FT's property correspondent. You can read more about the property impact in Saturday's FT Money at ft.com money. Finally, there's a raft of considerations that people have only just begun to think about and which will keep policymakers, lawyers and financial advisors in employment for many years to come. FT Money columnist Jason Butler, a wealth management expert, has been setting his mind to the myriad implications of tax and pension changes, and he's joined us to talk about his initial conclusions. Jason, thanks for coming in. Hi. Should we start with pensions? We know that pensions invested in the stock market have suffered, and we know that annuity rates will fall as a result of this, at least while interest rates remain low. But should we be worried about other aspects of pensions? Well, yeah, I think there are different elements to this, some of which were there before Brexit and some of which have just arisen. The thing that really strikes me, though, is that there must almost be an imperative for the government to do something about the tax reliefs on pensions, because the government's already undershooting its own targets that the OBR forecast uh, last year, and they've got a gap anyway. And so 
to my mind, if you can get high rate tax relief, whether that's within the lower tapered annual allowance of 10,000 or able to do a larger amount, then I think almost certainly it makes sense to do that. I know we've been talking about the death of tax relief for years, but you know, never has there been a good situation for a government to sort of slip that in. Also, salary sacrifice. Now, the government did actually highlight this in the last budget, something they're looking at and they're aware of, but it does cost the government about £13 million a year, both in terms of contributions that are made in lieu of salary and those that foregone from salary. And of course, the tax-free cash, that old chestnut, that cost the government two and a half billion pounds, and that's 25% for most people. So I'm not saying necessarily rush out and stuff your pension if you're already up to the lifetime limit, but do consider it if you've got headroom and you've got the means and you've got the tax liability. Mm. Do think about whether you should at least crystallise some or all of your tax-free cash in conjunction with thinking about your wider position. And if you can or uh, you've got the means and the ability to do salary sacrifice, perhaps this is a good time to think about doing that, because they are certainly rich pickings for any government that uh, wants to bring a budget in in October. Yeah. What about those defined benefit pensions, otherwise known as final salary schemes? Are they safe from all this turmoil? Well, as we've seen in the last couple of months, safe is a relative term because at the end of the day, if your pension is more than the 30,000 limit or roughly that the Pension Protection Fund can protect you from, then who knows? If your scheme isn't massively underfunded, and most of them are, but if it isn't massively underfunded, then transfer values at the moment are very, very high by historical standards for transferring. Uh, Yeah, that's the cash equivalent value for giving up your future pension rights. And trustees are quite keen for you to take the money because it absorbs them from the future responsibility, the long tail end risk. Now, for many people, leaving their benefits in situ is the right thing to do. But if all other things being equal, transferring does make sense for you, Transfer values are exceedingly high for many schemes. If you were to transfer out now, and that's mainly because uh, guilt yields are so low and they've gone even lower recently. Now, trustees do adjust the way that they calculate transfer values, not week to week or month to month, but generally sort of yearly. If we are in a prolonged period of low guilt yields, then now at the moment may well give you a higher transfer value. But if in due course, say, uh, sterling continues to be weak or we get rampant inflation or the economy does actually have a sort of bounce, then it may be that in the next two to three years plus, if interest rates start rising and guilt yields start rising, then transfer values will have to actually fall because of the way that actuaries calculate the value is based on guilt yields. Higher guilt yields, all other things being equal, tend to mean lower transfer values. It's interesting. And just finally, a lot of British people have, have sort of retired to other EU countries over the past 30 years, and more will undoubtedly been ten, have been intending to follow them. Are there implications for your pension if you want to transfer it abroad? Well, you can transfer a UK pension abroad as long as it's to what's called a Qualified Recognised Overseas Pension Scheme, a QROPS. Now, the actual taxation of a QROPS, an overseas scheme, is not any real different to a UK scheme if you stay as a UK resident. It's very much determined by where your QROPS is located, so Malta or Gibraltar or wherever, and the country that you're resident in and how they tax overseas pensions. So if we give you an example, uh, Portugal has a sort of a non-temporary residence tax treatment of a QROPS, which in most situations will mean you pay little or no tax on taking benefits from a QROPS while you're in that temporary residence. Now, that's predicated on the basis that you actually have the right to go and live in Portugal under the EEC, Mm. uh, the EU rules. Now, if, for instance, there is any change to free movement of people, and we don't know what that is, your carefully crafted plans of going to Portugal or going to any other EU country that may be more appropriate for you, either for lifestyle and or for taking your pension benefits, and make sure it's lifestyle first, not pension benefits first. It could well be that both from the inland revenues point of view, you can't and are never going to go abroad, and or in practical terms, you won't be able to actually 
get that residency. So I'm not saying rush out and transfer your pensions and all move to Portugal and take the money tax free. But if you were going to go there sooner rather than later, might make sense to think about that in the context of your overall financial plan. Lots there to chew on. Thank you very much, Jason. That was Jason Butler, personal finance expert and author of the FT Guide to Wealth Management. You can read his column on these issues this weekend at ft.com slash money. We'd love to know how you've been affected financially by the result of the referendum. You can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's Brexit-focused issue. I'll be writing in our Serious Money column about the prospects for mortgage borrowers and home buyers as they absorb the result. Our cover feature brings together the key implications for savers, investors and pensioners. And we'll have more from Merrin Somerset-Webb in her weekly investment column. Plus, we have the latest share tips and director's deals from the Investors Chronicle. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.